This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by Manscaped. We have got one hell of a story for you today, folks. Mm -hmm. I mean, these days we hear about cryptocurrency heists every couple of days. It's old hat. The values range from maybe a couple thousand dollars all the way up to tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars being stolen from exchanges and wallets and every sort of way imaginable. Uh, usually these anonymous cyber burglars disappear, never to be found, leaving much to the imagination as to their identities. I mean, surely the people pulling off these big, high-value cryptocurrency heists, they must be just like elite hacker men, maybe even working on behalf of powerful world governments. Mm -hmm. Except maybe not so much, because yeah. uh, recently the U.S. Department of Justice arrested the people that they say were behind what is arguably the biggest ever crypto heist, valued at $4.5 billion. With a B. Billion dollars. And, um, well, here you go. Here's the Bonnie of the cryptocurrency Bonnie and Clyde. So, pretty chilling stuff. Uh, that person that you just saw rapping and dancing stands accused of conspiring with her husband to steal an absolute massive amount of cryptocurrency. And we will certainly be taking a closer look at the very public and very weird lives of these people. But first, here's Reuters with the basic facts surrounding this case. The U.S. Justice Department said on Tuesday it had unraveled its biggest ever cryptocurrency theft, seizing a record-shattering $3.6 billion in Bitcoin tied to the 2016 hack of digital currency exchange Bitfinex and arresting a husband and wife team on money laundering charges. Ilya Dutch Lichtenstein, 34, and his wife, Heather Morgan, 31, New Yorkers who were arrested in Manhattan Tuesday morning, spent the illegal proceeds on items ranging from gold and non-fungible tokens to a $500 Walmart gift card prosecutor said. The couple had active public profiles, with Morgan known as rap singer Rosal Khan, known as <laughs> Rosal Khan, uh, a pseudonym that she said on her website referred to Genghis Khan, but with more pizzazz. Um, the brain trust of this husband and wife team is as fun to unravel as this crypto laundering nightmare. And we'll get to it. Yeah. But the article continues. Uh, the pair is accused of conspiring to launder 119,754 bitcoins stolen after a hacker broke into Bitfinex and initiated more than 2,000 unauthorized transactions. Justice Department officials said the transactions at the time were valued at $71 million in Bitcoin, but with the rise in the currency's value, the value now is over $4.5 billion. A key clue may have come from the 2017 bust of an underground digital market used to launder a portion of the funds. U.S. officials said some of the money was transferred to AlphaBay, and anything goes version of eBay hosted on the dark web. When the site was taken down, it likely allowed authorities to access AlphaBay's internal transaction logs and connect them to a cryptocurrency account in Liechtenstein's name, according to digital currency tracking company Elliptic. So the specifics of how the feds managed to trace the stolen Bitcoin to Morgan and Lichtenstein are, are outlined in the Justice Department's arrest warrant. And it's all very boring and difficult to follow. Even the charts that they illustrated are like... Yeah. 
All okay, right. I see where this went, but it's very confusing. I'm following these arrows, and uh, all right. It leads to PlayStation and Walmart gift cards, <laughs> yeah. which is very funny to look at. But uh, it seems like while the accused thieves put some effort into laundering their Bitcoins, it definitely wasn't enough to cover their tracks at all. And they just merely added extra steps to the Fed's investigation. Yeah, they uh, they just threw breadcrumbs everywhere, and they're like, now you pick them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once the Fed's had a good sense that these people were... Uh, the ones with the stolen bitcoins, their job became much, much easier. They got a warrant to obtain the contents of one of Lichtenstein's email accounts and managed to decrypt some encrypted files that it contained and found the keys to $3.6 billion in bitcoin just sitting there. Just sitting there. In an email account. Yeah, like just right there in the cloud, ready for you to reach up and grab. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. The warrant then outlines a few other things that they found in there that definitely paint these two as guilty as hell. Yeah. Lichtenstein's cloud storage account also contained the account spreadsheet discussed in the preceding subsections detailing the login information and status of accounts at numerous virtual currency exchanges, including a notation of which accounts had been frozen or empty. As explained above, many of these accounts received stolen funds from Victim VCE, which is Big Finex. Furthermore, Lichtenstein's cloud storage account also contained a folder named Personas. The Personas folder contained biographical information and identification documents for numerous individuals. The account also included a text file named Passport Underscore Ideas <laughs> that included links to different darknet <laughs> vendor accounts that appeared to be offering passports or identification cards for sale. Lichtenstein's cloud storage account contained a folder holding data files for numerous financial institutions with notes that appear to be reconnaissance of potential laundering avenues. For example, a document for Alpha Bank describes the bank as a sketchy Russian oligarch bank and includes notes about login procedures. Uh, when I read the like affidavit and all the information behind this, I was just like... I think these two might actually be lucky that the feds got to them before anyone else. Yeah, that <laughs> because, is... Uh, uh, a, I mean, you think about, like, you know, what a criminal would go after for, like, $10,000, $20,000, $30,000. Then you get up into the millions and you're like, geez, yeah. that would be scary to be in charge of. And these people were responsible for what ended up being multiple billion dollars. These two geniuses. Yeah, clearly. I mean, they got away with it. <laughs> until they didn't. So just so we're clear, the alleged perpetrators of the most valuable cryptocurrency heist ever were keeping all of the evidence stored in the cloud. Encrypted or not, that is a bold move, and it certainly did not pay off. And while there's still about a billion dollars in Bitcoin that's unaccounted for, it's unclear how much of this haul they even managed to actually spend on anything aside from gift cards from Walmart or Uber or Hotels.com and the PlayStation Store. Yeah, gotta get uh, those games. But it'll be interesting to see how much of the money may have been used to fund the career of Heather Morgan's rapping alter ego, Razzle Khan, because, yes, this woman fancies herself a rapper despite being objectively terrible at it. Like, just horrible. Maybe the worst rapper I've ever heard. I, it's one of those how bad could it be yeah. clicks, and then you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the complete absence of flow, complete absence of voice. You it's would think it was terrible. parody if it wasn't done in such an earnest fashion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the only way that we can see justifying uploading such an insane amount of cringe to the internet is having way more money than sense. But uh, you would think that, like, the production of music videos would be a very small portion that you would like to spend money on 
and a larger portion would be someone to write you the lyrics yeah. or at least coach you in the way things are supposed to sound. Hire a rap coach. That's got to be a, a thing. Hire any musician. Yeah. Any musician would be able to get you on beat or at least give you notes about what you're doing so horrifically yeah. wrong. A producer that can steer you in the as good of a direction as they can, I guess. Yeah, this she was walking backwards. So yeah, RazzleCon's YouTube and Instagram pages have been, unfortunately, wiped clean. But plenty of people managed to capture a lot of it before that happened. And bizarrely, at least of, as of when we're filming this, RazzleCon's TikTok page is still filled to the brim with videos of maybe the most untalented rapper and dancer the world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, she's actually published a kind of insane amount of terrible music in the last couple of years. You mm -hmm. can find it on Spotify, SoundCloud. Uh, so we don't Daniel, Daniel Eck was like, I will not silence yeah. Heather Morgan, no. Razzle Khan. No. She, there is no way. She not deserves to be here just as much as anyone else. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know. We don't want to get DMCA'd by this very dangerous woman. But here's a few very quick examples of the level of artistry we're working with here, just so you are fully on the same page as us when talking about this Razzle Khan character. Yes. Here you go. Apple find my phone, but it won't work at home. God damn it, where are my AirPods? Ain't a fucking vegan. Apex predator. Love me eating, waiting like a gator. Stop the pandemic. I just wanna travel. Stop this shit before I start to unravel. Fuck the pandemic. Fuck the pandemic. Damn, that person was in charge of a money laundering scheme that reached into the billions of dollars. Yeah. She wasn't good at that either. Yeah, well, obviously. But it's a little <laughs> bit better than rapping because yeah. they didn't get caught for at least a couple of years. Um, they should send her to jail for, for her music career. <laughs> Crimes against music. Yeah. Uh, Razzle Khan's website is also still up, by the way, and it provides some further background on who exactly Razzle Khan is, or at least who she thinks she is. Razzle Khan is like Genghis Khan, but with more pizzazz. No one knows for sure where this rapper's from. Could be the North African desert, no. the jungles of Vietnam, no. or another universe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, all that matters is that she's here to stick up for misfits and underdogs everywhere. We do know that she's descended from a nomadic tribe, though. Because Raz has synesthesia, her art often resembles something in between an acid trip and a delightful nightmare. Mm. <laughs> Definitely not for the faint of heart. Uh, or easily offended, Roz likes to push the limits of what people are comfortable with. <laughs> uh, that's that's accurate. Uh, her uh, the nightmare part is uh, accurate yeah, too. I'm not comfortable with it. <laughs> her style has often been described as sexy horror comedy. By who? Who because, described it that way? Her husband. Uh, because of her fondness for combining dark and disturbing concepts with dirty jokes and gestures, just like her fearless entrepreneurial spirit and hacker mindset. Raz shamelessly, <laughs> shamelessly explores new frontiers of art, pushing the limit of what's possible. Whether that leads to something wonderful or terrible is unclear. No, it's pretty clear. <laughs> the only thing that's certain is that it won't be boring or mediocre. Uh... As we know from her lyrics in Versace Bedouin, Raz is not just a rapper. She is also a software CEO, a writer, an economist, and a few contradictory other things. Listen to find out. While Raz has many rappers that she is inspired by, including South African rap duo Deontward, uh, Tierra Whack, and rapper Mickey Avalon, just on, just the wow. best people that you could pick yeah. to uh, be inspired by, uh, especially now, mm -hmm. with uh, everything else that's happened throughout their careers. Yeah. Uh, she also finds great inspiration in the creative works of Salvador Dali, Diane Arbus, Hunter S. Thompson, Roald Dahl, and Charles Bukowski. 
Wow. So, yeah, this person clearly thinks pretty highly of themselves. Yeah. But, hold on, what was all that about her being a software CEO, a writer, and an economist? What's that about? Hmm. Well, turns out, Heather Morgan's LinkedIn page actually backs all that up. She's worked in the tech world for nearly a decade, including as the founder and CEO of a company called SalesFolk, hmm. and as a founding partner as a venture at a venture capital firm called DemandPath that she seems to run with her husband and alleged co-conspirator, Dutch Ilya Lichtenstein. Uh, she studied economics at UC Davis and co-authored a report for the World Bank about economic trends in the Middle East. She's also written for outlets like Forbes and Inc. And looking at her author pages for each of those outlets, she's written a kind of insane number of articles for both of them. This wasn't just a little side gig. She wrote a fuck ton of articles, many of which are written in like first person and feature her own personal insights about business and tech. Uh, this was a thought leader. Yeah, but then you read, so it was so jarring yesterday because you'll see stuff like this and then you'll go to her, uh, which was still up at the time, I don't know if it still is, her YouTube page, where she, she did the same kind of, like, uh, during the pandemic, kind of isolationist yeah. uh, vlogging. Like cutting my boyfriend's hair. These, they couldn't cut each other's hair in a way, like, it was frustrating to watch. Yeah, you're it watching like these people seem stupid. They seemed, or at least portrayed themselves to be, at an educational level, somewhere in the toddler range, yeah, uh, range of age. Yeah, and it was. Yeah, it's like something's something's missing here. Like these did, don't seem the, like the brightest people, but maybe that was all part. They're they like presenting themselves as these like complete fucking morons. Like the FBI will never suspect we would have uh, stolen four. I mean, I guess. Dollars. Did you see the video where she tries to eat pancakes? Yeah, it's like it's like what are you doing? Like yeah. you don't even know how to eat food. She has trouble like handling a fork. And, and she's like live strange. editing producing it to yeah. her husband who's filming but, like, it. like not making cuts. It's very strange. It's um I cannot wait for the documentary about this. Oh, it's happening. This I'm, is going to be Netflix great. Netflix and Hulu are, have already commissioned... <laughs> they, Two gonna, separate but equal documentaries. They, they probably already had cameras at the, the first hearing. This is a documentary... Multiple documentaries are in production. It, it, is, it is going to be fascinating. But uh, yeah, of course, a long list of uh, notable career accomplishments. Yeah. And a long line of work that was published on... Seemingly reputable websites. Yeah. So appearances, can they can be deceiving. But by all appearances, Heather Morgan and Dutch Ilya Lichtenstein have legit successful careers in tech and business in addition to all the cringe that they posted <laughs> on the side. The whole case is just so extremely bizarre. On the one hand, in every piece of footage of these people that exists, and it is a lot of footage, they seem way too dumb to ever be able to pull the largest pull off the largest Bitcoin heist in history, or at the very least be involved in the money laundering of it. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's ample evidence that they are in fact smart and savvy enough to do it. But then on the other hand, <laughs> the details of how they were caught indicate that they thought they were smarter than they actually are. So classic Dunning-Kruger on a, on a massive scale. Heather Roselkahn Morgan and Ilya Dutch Lichtenstein face up to 25 years in prison. And we've got a feeling this case is going to be something that we'll be updating you on for quite a while. Um, so there's your introduction to the two newest inductees into the Internet Today Hall of Fame. And, yeah, I mean, one last thing that I just, when I looked at this, and I looked into it further and further and further, I was just like, 
It might not be true, but these people really seem like Fall Guys. Yeah, I mean... They really seem like someone else was actually in charge of this and that they hired their services as tech geniuses to do something related to cryptocurrency. And they, in my mind, they had no idea what they were actually doing, but yeah. they were just like pulling levers, but there's doing a, things, executing I mean, things. The, the DOJ document is hard to follow, but like... I mean, if they were framed, whoever framed them did an incredible job at it because there's, like, I mean, the red yarn, it is, uh, it definitely leads to where it leads. Like, they, and, like, they were using, like, their own IP address in a lot of these transactions. They, they were, they they were, were moving were, shit to their own bank accounts. While living in the most heavily financially regulated city in the country yeah. that you could possibly, like... Where do I want to go to commit financial crime? I know. New York City. Yeah, I hear that Letitia James is a real <laughs> lenient uh, attorney general. Like, move to fuck, move anywhere. Yeah. Move it's... out of the country. What was that? That family just moved, what, to uh, Europe to avoid the Bitcoin family? They invested when it was like uh, $90 and now they're like, well, we're out of here. And they moved to a different country to avoid uh, yeah. all the taxes on it. Yeah. Like, just any amount of trail covering... It, that's what is like so fascinating about it. I feel like there's more to the story. I can't prove that there is, but I just feel like something's off. Yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions here that hopefully uh, we get some insight into. Like, where's the extra billion? What happened to that? Yeah. Also, they is, bet it on black and just lost. <laughs> is the government going to give this money back to that currency exchange, which will then give it back to the people who lost it? Yeah. Because it, uh, a- after this all went down, the company was just like, oh, don't worry. We're going to give you uh, an equal amount, but in our coin. Yeah. And so, as you said, like the value of Bitcoin skyrocketed since 2016. The value of the coin that Bitfinex gave to people did not. So that has to be just absolutely fucking infuriating yeah. for anyone who was, uh, you know, taking advantage yeah, of it. Yeah, I mean, that'll probably, it'll take years for this to get fully sorted out. But it's also another uh, clear indication that, uh, you know, everything on the blockchain it's traceable. It is. And uh, actually, in a lot of cases, more traceable and trackable than anything else anyone else is doing. Yeah. Um, All it takes is someone uh, who's getting paid a lot of money and a team of people to unwind yeah, it. Yeah, someone who's got the time and uh, the resources. <laughs> like the U.S. Just, government. Yeah, the U.S. government, uh, they've got the time. Yeah. So uh, hiding your assets inside of a animated GIF of a dinosaur, probably not going to work. No. But anyways... Like every week in this fucking hell world, there's plenty more dumb crypto and NFT news to report on. So let's move on now to the uh, absolutely shocking news that it turns out people are, in fact, just selling NFTs to themselves to artificially inflate the perceived value of their apes and lions and whatever else. I, I know, guys. Who could have ever guessed that something like this might be happening? Certainly not us. That's for sure. Because yeah. we're idiots. No, we, uh, we knew. We knew. <laughs> so anyway, this news comes via a recent blog post by Chainalysis, a company that analyzes data related to stuff on the blockchain and is seemingly pro-crypto, despite regularly publishing stuff that confirms a lot of what's happening in the, in the blockchain is just scams. Like the report we talked about last week that it confirmed that barely anyone is actually buying and owning NFTs. Well, it makes sense for someone who uh, actually <laughs> believes in like cryptocurrency yeah. and the blockchain to be like, Look, we're going to take a very uh, hard path here and kind of expose a lot of the bad stuff that's going on so that we can hopefully get that changed. That I mean, seems to be their angle. Like, their motto is something like, uh, 
you know, putting confidence and trust into the blockchain. Yeah. So that's their, their motivations is they're, they're bullish on crypto and uh, they want to call out Just, scams. They, uh, they should be calling out scams. That yeah. Would, this is good for crypto. It, yeah. <laughs> Everything's good for crypto. <laughs> so yeah, the actual report gets into quite a lot of detail about how they reach their conclusions that the NFT marketplace is awash with wash trading. But here's NBC News with a more uh, normie-friendly breakdown. Some people repeatedly sell themselves their own NFTs in an attempt to artificially inflate their prices, according to a report published Wednesday. Called wash trading, the practice has long been speculated as key to the NFT market's steep rise to an estimated $44 billion in sales last year, though it is difficult to definitively prove. But some examples are hiding in plain sight, according to a report by Chainalysis, a company that monitors blockchain technology. The digital ledgers that act as the backbone for cryptocurrencies and smart contract assets such as NFTs. In its report, Chainalysis identified and tracked NFTs that were sold back and forth at least 25 times by the same handful of cryptocurrency wallets. What the company's analysts say are overt examples of wash trading. In the 110 profitable cases, sales from those NFTs made nearly $8.9 million. It wasn't a clearly effective strategy, however. The, quote, most prolific NFT wash trader that the study identified made 830 trades between their accounts, but profited only $8,383. Uh, here's some more from that article. Because smart NFT traders who wanted to hide their activity would likely use different Ethereum wallets for each transaction, the Chainalysis findings are likely only a small fraction of how many NFTs are wash traded, said Kimberly Grower, director of research at Chainalysis. Quote, what this data set looks at is of the individuals who were selling NFTs at scale, how many of them are actually just funding their own wallets, she said. We built a very, very, very conservative estimate of what might be NFT-related wash trading, she added. While wash trading may seem like an easy way to drive up an NFT's value, it is not a foolproof plan, Grower said. Every Ethereum transaction takes a small commission called a gas fee, and a person repeatedly selling to themselves will have to keep paying that fee and hope they can eventually sell their NFT for enough to make up those costs. Chainalysis found 152 clearly washed NFTs that were sold for a collective loss of more than $400,000, she said. Quote, the underlying sentiment is that all NFT activity is wash trading, but especially when it comes to times to pay gas fees, it's not something that makes a whole lot of sense to do, she said. So basically, wash trading is absolutely rampant, but barely anyone is actually turning a profit, and most people are actually losing money at it, which, if we're going to speculate, means that uh, the people doing it are probably playing the long game. They're willing to spend a bunch of money paying gas fees, selling NFTs to themselves for higher and higher amounts in the hopes that eventually some rube is going to take the bait and pay an exorbitant amount of money for an NFT that appears to be a hot commodity with huge growth potential. You'd need pretty deep pockets to justify that kind of gamble, but a lot of people have a lot of money riding on the success of NFTs as a whole. And clearly their biggest strategy so far has been to try and convince outsiders that NFTs are in fact the future, when in reality, barely anyone actually gives a shit about them. Similarly, uh, there's been a lot of questions about why so many celebrities are suddenly investing stupid amounts of money into NFTs. And hey, maybe they just really like the art, but here's former BuzzFeed tech writer Ryan Broderick writing on his Substack about Justin Bieber's recent purchase of a Bored Ape NFT and the rather suspicious circumstances around it. Last week, an OpenSea account named Justin Bieber NFTs, which is purportedly owned by Justin Bieber, was completely dormant. Then, four hours before that wallet was used to buy a Bored Ape NFT, a wallet owned by Gianpiero de Alessandro, the designer for Drew House, an apparel brand he co-founded with Bieber, sent it 916 Ether, or 2.3 million 
US dollars. The 916 Ether that Delisandro sent Bieber's wallet came from the 1,343 Ether or 3.9 million USD that Delisandro raised after launching an NFT line that he released in early January. Half of the 916 Ether that Delisandro sent Bieber's wallet was then used to buy a Bored Ape NFT for way more money than it was worth, actually. Bieber's wallet then purchased NFTs from Dalessandro's collection. Then Dalessandro used the whole thing to promote his NFTs. And there's still around $880,000 worth of Ethereum sitting in Bieber's wallet. Put another way, Justin Bieber's business partner launched an NFT line and then used the money from the initial sale to pay Justin Bieber to buy an expensive Bored Ape NFT as a way to further promote his NFT line. In fact, though Bieber shared the Bored Ape on his Instagram, his Twitter profile pic is actually one of Dalessandro's NFTs. God, this is also stupid. Yeah, and... Also, he paid like three times the value of yeah. that Bored Ape NFT um, for reasons that I can't make sense of other than artificially raising the floor overall, yeah. the average sale price of uh, the Bored Ape Yacht Club. And that's another thing that happens on all these Discord servers. Like, they'll go in, there's like two things. Like, people will go in and they'll, you know, sweep the floor, uh, which is buying all of the low price things to bring the floor level up so that it looks like there's... There's artificial uh, transactions going on. Yeah. There's more transactions going on than there technically already are. Uh, also, when you see a lot of this, it's like some of these people might have gotten into Ethereum when it was $20 yeah. a token. So these people might, behind the scenes, be multimillionaires who also have an invested stake in these NFTs. And they're like, so what is it to me to buy and resell this and get the price up? Mm-hmm. When I got in on this Ethereum, when it was ne- even if you were in on a hundred dollars a token, yeah. like this is free money at this point for you to spend. Yeah, and it could be even more money if I do a little bit of market manipulation. Yeah, I mean technically, yeah, it's like it's like selling anything. Yeah, if you own all of the stock, then you artificially inflate the price. This happens in fucking trading cards. Yeah. This happens. There's a there's a subreddit for Magic the Gathering called MTG Finance where people buy hundreds, if not thousands, of a card on spec, speculation, that the card is going to be worth something in the future, and they will own all the stock of it. Like, this is is not new at all. This is just a new way to do it that's much easier. Yeah. Um, Interesting. And it's not, that's not just magic, it's fucking Pokemon, baseball cards, it's everything. Yeah. So, nothing new, just a new (laughs) way to do it, and now celebrities are getting involved. Yeah, I mean, you saw this with the PlayStation 5. It's still happening. Yeah. People are just buying up, like, yeah. truckloads of PS5s. Now they can sell them for as much as they want. Yeah. Because they control the supply. But anyway, while more and more people find uh, just anything related to cryptocurrency repellent and off-putting, these people are apparently out of touch. Because owning cryptocurrency actually makes you super attractive. Here's CNBC. With Valentine's Day approaching, single men and women are setting their sights on a partner who is not just financially stable, but savvy, especially when it comes to digital currencies. To that point, 33% of Americans said they would be more likely to go on a date with someone who mentioned crypto assets in their online dating profile. Further, nearly three in four would be more interested in a second date with a person who paid the bill in Bitcoin, (laughs) according to a recent survey by 
eToro, a social investing platform. Oh, uh, do you think that they have a reason to, to make this look good? Oh, who's to say? The number of merchants accepting crypto as payment is near 100 million, according to Visa's recent earnings call. Other digital assets like non-fungible tokens or NFTs are also desirable. Nearly 20% of singles would be more interested in you romantically if you set an NFT as your profile picture on a social platform or dating site, eToro found. Oh wait, who found this? eToro? Yeah. A social investing site? What can we say? We got the data back and it says uh, we're all gonna get laid. Also, this is probably true because like, if I was a woman on the dating scene and I saw some fucking idiot and one of his pictures was his bored ape, this I'd be like- This guy's rich and he guy, doesn't know how to spend his money. This guy has a ton of money and he's a fucking moron. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, there's probably something to that. I mean, there's definitely something yeah. to it. Like there's plenty of stories. You don't have to go very far on uh, a site like Reddit to find like, Stories about women using Tinder or whatever to like just go out and eat for yeah, free. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, if you saw some fucking dork with his like profile picture and his and his crypto punk next to him or something like that instead of a fish, yeah. you'd be like, this is gonna be easy. I think I'll be eating. You know what? We good. should get married tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> actually, well, let me get a look at your crypto wallet first. I want to make sure that I'm not uh, marrying someone who is actually in uh, massive amounts of real debt. No, I won't sign a prenup. Let's do a prenup NFT, which is probably just as the like... The prenup is on the blockchain. Yeah, the prenup's on the blockchain. So, yeah, boom, there it is. And the blockchain doesn't lie. Yeah. And surely if we happen to get divorced, the judge will look at that prenup NFT and and that'll be that. He's going to drag all of the NFTs into the virtual recycling bin in front of the entire <laughs> courtroom. But yeah, it's entirely possible that that we are completely out of touch. I mean, we are getting old, guys. Yeah. That is a true thing. I mean, we... We might just be getting old and grumpy about all this. Back in my day, I bought, I guess I wasted money on uh, artistic interpretations of very big movies. And a lot of them are just in the closet right now. So who knows? Anyways, uh, just all of this just seems very hard to believe. It's suspicious. At least the way that uh, specifically it's framed here. Although I will say, yeah, in in the case of a woman seeing that and taking advantage of that man. Yeah. Jackpot. the, The stakes are high. Uh, it's entirely possible that crypto and NFTs are a huge turn-on for a big chunk of the population, but we'd be curious to see a, a more detailed breakdown. 33% of people might be more likely to date someone who's into crypto, but what percentage of people see crypto on someone's dating profile and swipe left because they don't want to hear someone talking their fucking ear off about it, and they know that's coming. Same goes for the 20% of uh, people who see NFTs as a plus. How many see NFTs as a complete deal-breaker? It's like holding up the fish. Yeah. 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 I, I've seen the memes. Yeah. Uh, If anything, it does actually make sense that someone might be attracted to NFT holders. Like we said, they've clearly demonstrated that they have enough money to spend on monkey JPEGs and therefore will probably spend stupid amounts of money on you as well. Yeah. It's not... Just don't stick around for the long haul, I don't think. Yeah. Although, you get roped in. You start start believing the hype. Like, well, he's rich now, but he could be so much richer once... uh... You know, once these NFTs catch on. It's going to be that famous photo of the married couple in divorce court splitting up their beanie babies, except digitally. Yeah. Very exciting. Anyway, one more bit of NFT news for you. Uh, Yet another video gaming company has come out and stated clearly, for the record, that they are completely against the push to make NFTs an integral part of gaming, or any part at all of gaming. So last weekend, the indie game marketplace itch.io tweeted out, a few have asked about our stance on NFTs. NFTs are a scam. If you think they are legitimately useful for anything other than the exploitation of creators, financial scams, and the destruction of the planet, then we ask that you please reevaluate your life choices. Peace. 
Also, fuck any company that says they support creators and also endorses NFTs in any way. They only care about their own profit and the opportunity for wealth above anyone else. Especially given the now easily available discourse concerning the problems with NFTs, how can you be so dense? There we go. Yeah. Well, we do have more news for you coming up. But first, uh, can we get a round of applause for today's sponsor, Manscaped? Yeah. We are excited to announce Manscaped has launched their ultra premium collection. And believe it or not, it is not for your private parts. It's a leveled up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEWSDAY20. We all know how essential the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 is for that precise trim below the waist. Their advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts to your most delicate areas. But now, you can enhance your perfect grooming routine with their ultra-premium collection. This package includes Manscaped Premium Deodorant. No, not for your balls. For your stanky armpits. Mm -hmm. This deodorant dries clear, is aluminum-free, and smells like their signature scent. Hydrating Body Spray. You have tattoos or issues with dry skin? Well, this spray-on lotion is designed to keep your skin feeling moisturized, smooth, and smelling fresh. Body wash to lather you up with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel. Two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with an easy one step. Plus, a free gift, a three-pack set of lip balm that's made with ingredients like vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist. I like their uh, the way that they do it because they send us some. It's got the pump on it. Yeah. You get, you're in the shower, you pick something up, butterfingers. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're head over heels and you're on your way to the hospital. Yeah. Not with Manscaped. Now you're on GoFundMe begging for money. <laughs> now with uh, Manscaped, you pump it out. Yeah. No risk. It's safe. It's safe. And that's what I like about it. <laughs> we said we're getting old. Uh, so that's four products plus a gift inside the Ultra Premium Collection. What a score. All of these products, they are cruelty free, they are paraben free, vegan friendly, and dye free the best ingredients with zero compromise. We recommend using the products in this order. Hop in the shower, scrub a dub that body with the uh, Manscaped body wash. And then number two, you lather your hair with the two-in-one shampoo conditioner to keep your noggin toggin. Number three, dry off and spray on the hydrating body spray to moisturize dry skin. Number four, put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. And number five, pop on that Manscaped lip balm. No one, no one out there is kissing any chapped lips, especially on Valentine's Day. No. Get your shit together. Getting dressed after is, of course, optional. You're going to look great after you've used the lawnmower. Yeah. Uh, and you can wear one great scent all day long. It all matches. You're not mixing and matching scents. Yeah. Get that ultra-premium collection hot off the shelves. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEWSDAY20 at manscaped.com. That is 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEWSDAY20 at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. All right. Yeah. Back to the news now with some news about Meta or Facebook. It's fucking Facebook. You know what we're talking about by this point. Yeah. Um, it but- is annoying, though, because there's all this discussion of the Metaverse, which Meta is into, but it's not exclusively their thing. It's a generic term. Like we said uh, when they announced the name change, they are doing this deliberately to obfuscate all of their wrongdoing. Yeah. So anyway, Meta, yeah. Facebook, whatever. That's a company that uh, finally appears to be on the decline, maybe, after recently telling investors that their user base is shrinking for the first time ever, and then having their stock price tank by about 30%, the biggest single-day drop in U.S. stock market history. You're laughing. An entire company is going under, and you're laughing. 
Yes, I am. Yes, I'm the Joker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm the Joker, baby. In addition to the user base shrinking, a big red flag for investors was Facebook admitting that Apple's increased privacy features on iPhones is actually cutting into Facebook's profits quite a bit since it makes it harder for Facebook to track its users' online activity, which is the backbone of their business. Yes. Well, in a similar vein, some European Union uh, legislation that is in the works, which would place new limits on user data collection, has Meta pretty spooked to the point that they're kind of sort of just threatening to pull out of Europe altogether if this legislation passes. Oh, oh no! Don't oh, please! Go. No! Oh, no! What? No! Don't! Come on. Uh, here's CNBC. Meta has said it is considering shutting down Facebook and Instagram in Europe if it can't keep transferring user data back to the U.S. The social media giant issued the warning in its annual report last Thursday. Regulators in Europe are currently drawing up new legislation that will dictate how EU citizens' user data gets transferred across the Atlantic. Facebook said, If a new transatlantic data transfer framework is not adopted and we are unable to continue to rely on SCC's standard contractual clauses or rely upon other alternative means of data transfers from Europe to the United States, we will likely be unable to offer a number of our most significant products and services, including Facebook and Instagram in Europe. Oh. The company added that this, quote, would materially and adversely affect our business, financial condition, and results of operations. Meta cannot just blackmail the EU into giving up its data protection standards, European lawmaker Axel Voss, cool, said via Twitter, adding, said via Twitter, even digging the knife in further, <laughs> adding that, quote, leaving the EU would be their loss. Voss has previously written some of the EU's data protection legislation and has a really cool name. Now the crazy frog version. <laughs> We're taking the internet back to the early 2000s. Yeah, get Facebook out of Europe. So yeah, the EU does not seem to be all that phased by Facebook's threats here, which is cool. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) France's finance minister even said at a press conference, I can assure you that you can live well without Facebook and that we could live very well without Facebook. She said while smoking a cigarette, probably. Well, it's a man. He said while smoking a cigarette, probably. No, but we can pretend he was. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Meta, sensing that their threats weren't working as effectively as they would have liked, then backpedaled like a bitch (laughs) uh, with a blog post titled, Meta is absolutely not threatening to leave Europe, uh, in which they lash out at all the reporting that Meta apparently feels was inaccurate, but was based on their own fucking words. Yeah. Uh, But then they also basically confirmed that as much as they'd love to remain in Europe, these new EU laws would be disastrous for their operations. Uh, and which that implies that they would no longer be able to run a profitable business in the EU, which implies that they would stop operating there as a result. So I don't know. They kind of actually are threatening to pull out of Europe, but whatever, Facebook. They were just sad that they got called on their shit and that everyone in Europe was like, good, do it, fucking do it. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see where things go from here. Uh... They don't seem to have the same bargaining power that they used to. They're get, not get so hot anymore. Europe, fucking do it. Do it, Europe. Do it. Set the standard once again. Get them the fuck out. It's going to be fucking sound of music every day as soon as Facebook's done. It's, it's going like, to be awesome. Uh, like that Simpsons, the Mark Zuckerberg. Imagine a world without Facebook. Everyone's just <laughs> dancing, having a great time, Ugh. drinking beers, smoking, <laughs> yeah. having just a wonderful time. Yeah. yeah. Everyone just like comes creeping out of their homes. Like, oh. 
say I haven't said hi in a long time, but oh, I baked wow. some cookies for you. My neighbor, my lovely neighbor. This is actually way cooler than that shitty fucking metaverse. There's like castles and shit. I live yeah. in Europe. That's sick. Wow, I can go look at real art. Yeah. At one of our many museums <laughs> locally. But in other news, it's a running joke that in this country, instead of having a functioning public healthcare system, we have GoFundMe, where people can go to beg for money to cover their obscenely high medical bills. But you may be shocked to learn that GoFundMe isn't actually a very good substitute for universal healthcare. Oh my God. And, in the, and in fact, the vast majority of people who try to crowdfund their medical expenses on GoFundMe fail to actually do so. And then presumably either die or go into extreme debt or both. Gizmodo looked at a recent study into medical crowdfunding campaigns, and it's bleak out there, folks. Here's what they found. Several studies have found that medical crowdfunding campaigns seldom meet their goals. A few have also suggested that people who are already facing disadvantages like poverty are less able to succeed than others. But this new study, published Thursday in the American Journal of Public Health by researchers from the University of Washington, was able to analyze one of the largest data sets on GoFundMe campaigns compiled so far. All told, they looked at nearly a half million campaigns started on GoFundMe between 2016 to 2020. These campaigns collectively raised over $2 billion from 21.7 million donations. But the payout to these campaigns was deeply unequal. Less than 12% of campaigns raised enough money to meet their goal during those years, while 16% raised no money at all. And the median campaign raised less than $2,000. These numbers were even worse in 2020, with a full third of all campaigns going unfunded. It continues, the researchers were also able to cross-reference census and other data on the states and neighborhoods where people who started these campaigns lived. And they found that the same disparities that hamper people's access to healthcare often played out on GoFundMe as well. In 2020, for instance, about 20% of campaigns were started by people living in areas with the lowest income brackets, but these campaigns only raised about 12% of the total money funded that year. Those living in high-income neighborhoods, meanwhile, raised a disproportionate share of the total money. Similarly, though more campaigns were started in states with the highest rates of medical debt and uninsurance, they raised less money than campaigns elsewhere. Mississippi, in particular, saw the lowest amounts of money donated of all 50 states. Despite its popularity and portrayals as an ad hoc safety net, medical crowdfunding is misaligned with key indicators of health financing needs in the United States, the authors wrote. It is best positioned to help in populations that need it the least. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, makes sense. It, I, yeah. Who could I'm sure guess? Freakonomics will have a great episode about this. Well. That can deal with it better than uh, I can. Anyway, the study also found that GoFundMe apparently likes to keep old medical campaigns that successfully met their goals up on the site while removing old campaigns that did not meet their goals, which... It uh, gives a false impression about how likely campaigns are to successfully raise the money that they're seeking. Real bleak stuff. That's why you have to donate to your own GoFundMe to get the hype up. Yeah, you gotta wash trade your medical expenses. <laughs> exactly. Hey, everyone's donating. I, I should do that too. Hey, this guy, his disease must be off the chain. He's wow. got all these donations. You're gonna want to get in on this. We're trying to find out who's donating all this money. <laughs> uh, yeah, so one might even call all this dystopian. Yeah. But... That's America for you. Mm -hmm. It's a great place to live as long as nothing bad ever happens to you unexpectedly. Just stop being poor and stop getting cancer, you scrub. It's that easy. Yeah. I don't know what you're complaining about. <laughs> stop being poor. And if you do have medical bills, you, you do the wash. Yeah. You start the ball rolling and then everyone else, it's like medical debt is like a catamari in many senses. It continues to grow and grow, but you're gonna need to spend money to make money. Yeah. You got to get to the front page of GoFundMe by being like, 
Oh, this this GoFundMe just launched and it already got $500 worth of donations. We got to put it on the front page because this thing's taken off. Yeah. It's going places. Yeah. And you got to do some like uh, heartwarming dystopian shit like send out uh, your kid to sell lemonade yeah. in the middle of the night in a rainstorm. Uh, so heartwarming. The, this the kid sold enough lemonade. Like, <laughs> this child is uh, putting his life in danger to try and fund his daddy's medical expenses with lemonade, which has no possibility of ever being successful. sell all of your medical records and x-rays on the blockchain as an NFT, because if you don't, the fucking doctors will. Remember that? Didn't we cover that story about how a doctor was, like, selling x-rays of their patients? The the Bataclan massacre. Jesus, yeah. doctor was selling uh, an x-ray of a woman's bullet-riddled arm. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, guys. Just put... I can't think of a better place to store your medically sensitive documents than on the blockchain. It's transparent. Which is which is what a lot of like the blockchain enthusiasts enthusiasts want. Never like, gonna fucking happen. Yeah, marriage certificates, uh, deeds, uh, car loans, all that stuff should be on the blockchain. Shut up. No, it should. <laughs> We're fine, everyone. Shut it's the fuck fine. up. Yeah. No. Uh, anyways, that's it for today's episode. If you haven't seen it already. Uh, you're gonna have to put uh, the death certificate for Stadia on the on the blockchain because that shit is dead. Yeah. Or as about as close as you can get. So that's what we covered on Monday's episode, alongside a bunch of other stuff, including Joe Rogan news that's already outdated by now. Yeah. But go watch it anyway. Then we have a weekly weird news that's all about how QAnon has canceled butterflies. Those damn butterflies. <laughs> See you next time. Bye bye.